0: Daniel chapter 4. You know, in 1969, there were 20 people who gathered for a party. Uh, This party was in celebration of a hurricane uh, that was bearing down on uh, the Mississippi coast. Uh, It was Hurricane Camille. And and as it was bearing down on them, they gathered at the Richelieu Apartments. Uh, They were less than 250 feet from the surf line and the local sheriff a few hours uh, before the storm hit went out to pay them uh, a visit. And uh, as the sheriff was there, he called everybody to the door, and nobody would answer the door, and finally he got on his loudspeaker calling for people. Finally, they came out onto the second floor balcony, and uh, he told them that their life was in danger and that they needed to vacate the premises immediately. And uh, all the partiers just laughed and, and, you know, they refused to leave. Finally, you know, the, the supposed owner of the building came out. He came down, came out, along with all the party goers behind him. They're all liquored up. They're all having their good time. And he, he basically said, listen, you don't understand. You're taking your lives in your hands. This is, this is serious. And the guy said, look, I'm telling you, I own this property and we're not leaving and you're going to have to arrest us if you want us to leave. We're, we're, we're having a party. We're waiting for the hurricane. And so the sheriff uh, went around and he said, and and, and I thought this was smart. He basically said, hey, I'm going to need the names of all of your next of kin. Right now, now that's a good motivation. You would think somebody hears that kind of puts reality in perspective. But they just laughed. They just laughingly gave him the name. Yeah, okay, here's the name. And it became this big joke. And you know where this is going. They gave him the names of their next of kin. and, And as he left, he turned and he simply said, you've been warned. Two hours later, the front wall of Hurricane Camille came ashore with wind speeds over 205 miles an hour. It was, uh, uh, for the next 40 years, a record uh, in terms of the ferocity of of the ferociousness of a hurricane. The waves crested 28 feet. When those raindrops hit with a wind of over 200 miles an hour, they were like bullets ripping through things. Uh, and within a matter of minutes, the only thing left of the Richelieu apartments was a foundation. The next day, the only person they found alive was a five-year-old boy clinging to a mattress. The book of Proverbs says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And, and that really is the big idea of Daniel chapter 4. I think if I was going to pick one line to just put over Daniel chapter 4 as a description, I think it might be Proverbs 29.1. He who is often rebuked and hardened his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So the big idea today as we go through Daniel chapter 4 is the importance of heeding God's warnings. The importance of heeding God's warning when God, as the sheriff, comes to us and says to us, you've been warned. You ever had that happen? You ever have God speak to you in that way? That's a treat, isn't it? We're going to talk about that today. Daniel chapter 4, beginning verse 1, to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to to generation. Now the writing here shifts. It's a, it's a shift from what the normal writing has been. The normal pattern of uh, the literary uh, pattern of, of the text has been different up until this point. Now it shifts. And what we're having is we have a, a man speaking to us in the first person. And this man is none, none other than King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And see, what we have here is King Nebuchadnezzar giving to us his personal testimony. Now, a testimony is is that thing which you testify of. Hey, look, this is what happened in my life. This is true, and, and, and this is this is the factual reporting of what has transpired in, in my life. And and what's happened here now is this radical thing has transpired in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. Now we're going to see it as he tells his testimony because we left off with him hardening his heart, but but God does a work in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, and so he's going to tell us about it, and we're going to see it unfold now uh, as he begins talking. So picking up verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Now, this is not the story that we've already gone through uh, earlier in Daniel. Uh, You remember Daniel had a vision. This is now Daniel having uh, a second dream. He's describing events uh, that uh, have happened to him yet a second time. Uh, The first dream that Daniel had was in Daniel chapter 2, where he had that image of gold and silver and bronze and iron and the feet of iron mixed with clay. And, And here now, God is giving to him a second dream, a second vision a second message for him. And both dreams serve a single purpose. If you want to just jump ahead to verse 17 just to see, this tells us what both dreams' purpose was. It says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. Here it is. In order... Why were the dreams given? In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets, it, uh, and sets over it the lowest of men. And, and so the whole purpose, the whole intent of this dream was so that God could communicate to Nebuchadnezzar, listen, Jack, this is all a lot bigger than you, man. And your head, your life, your everything, it's all wrapped up into, you know, it's about me and it's about my power and it's about consolidating my stuff and and perpetuating my will and making my name great. And, and the Lord is trying to get through to this man and say to him, your life is but a vapor. It's here a little while and then it's gone, man. There is an expiration date on your life. King Nebuchadnezzar, and he, through all of his power and through all of his stuff, he's blind to it. And so the purpose is God's trying to beat down the door of this guy's heart because he cares about him. We have looked at this extensively. God cares about you. He wants you to understand that this is all bigger than you. That the stuff that we spend our lives racing after, chasing after, trying to amass, trying to attain, trying to hold on to, man, it's, it's all going to burn. And the only thing that will stand the test of time is our relationship with the Lord and the blessings that come from the Lord that we use in regards to worshiping the Lord, the giving over of the Lord, the surrender to the Lord. And so the Lord is just trying to get through to this man, listen, this is all so much bigger than you. And will you note in verse 2 that what, da- what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says in hindsight is that, man, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. That's key. That's huge. See, from the benefit of hindsight, from the benefit of a man who had come to the end of himself and who had ultimately surrendered to the Lord, and that's where his testimony is going, from that vantage point, the looking backwards and the coming to his senses, he was able to realize, hey, all of these things, these dreams, these visions, these things that God would show me, these signs and miraculous works, they're for my benefit. It's because God is trying to reach me, trying to get a hold of me. And if you're taking notes, that's that's our first point here in our text. God's warnings are for our good. God's warnings are for our good. Now that might seem obvious, but it's not always obvious in the moment. It's not always obvious when God gives to us a warning that it's for our benefit. See, because with the king, you know, he received these visions and they troubled him. Why? Well, because they were contrary to his plan. They were contrary to his ambition. They were contrary to his goals. And so these dreams were were troubling. He didn't appreciate them, that they were for his good. My daughter, Megan, when she was growing up, my kids, gosh, they... I use them as examples all the time. I just, let's put Megan in the barrel today, okay? So Megan growing up, and I've talked to you about Megan, right? And she'll be the first to admit it, that if, you know, her gift was bringing home pond scum, that's just what she did. You know, she was attracted to the bad boys, and um, kind of like her mom, and, uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, Anyway, so Megan, she, she, she came home all lit up and all bright-eyed because uh, she and her boyfriend were going to go on a cross-country trip. Isn't that awesome? We're going on a cross-country trip. <laughs> like Hades you are. <laughs> uh, and so she was, she was crushed, devastated when I told her that, that the only way she was going on a cross-country trip was over my dead body. You ain't going, sweetheart. It's not going to happen. Well, his, his parents are going. I don't care who. I don't care if the president's going. I don't care if the pope's going. I don't care who's going. You're not going. They can send you a postcard. You're not going on a cross country trip. And so this turned into probably one of the biggest points of contention. In in our relationship with Megan, my firstborn, uh, you know, it was it, it got so bad, and 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 I'm, I'm, I thank Jesus, man. Just we we had raised her. I mean, you guys know me. I mean, you get me, you get all of me. I just kind of you know, it's all out here. You know who I am, and so with my kids raising them, um, I you know was I was pretty you know. I was pretty tight, you know, making sure that we're good and we're close and you're not, and anybody coming near you and they're not good, they ain't gonna be near you kind of thing. And um, and so I had enough of a relationship with Megan that, and she was, I mean, she was 19 at the time. I mean, she could have said, oh, look, I'm 19, I'm going. And of course it would have been, that's fine, where are you gonna live uh, after you're done, you know, kind of thing. But at any rate, you know, she was going, but she came in to my room to talk to me before she left. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and she, she says, Daddy, I want to go. And, and when I sleep, I'm unconscious. It's pretty much lights out. You could, you could beat a drum above my head. I probably wouldn't wake up. But she, just my daughter, saying, Daddy, I want to go. I was like, boing, I am up, you know. I'm like, no, you're not going. And, uh, and it turned into she had her bag packed. And she was basically coming to say goodbye. And she thought, she could just whisper in my ear, Daddy, I'm going. And I would mumble something like, okay. Well, I told you I was going. Now, God woke me up. I'm like, no, you ain't going. I end up spending the rest of the night sleeping on the, well, right in front of the front door. (laughs) I'm not even joking. Yes, my wife. Me and my pillow were on in the foyer in front. I laid across the front door. She's not leaving. See, now, here's my point. (laughs) Megan was troubled by my warning. She didn't like my warning. She despised my warning. She didn't realize that my warning was for her good. Now, thank you, Jesus. She's married the godly man that we prayed for her entire life, and she's expecting her third child, and she would be the first to stand on this platform today and tell you it was for my good. She didn't recognize it at the time. See, and that's the way that we are. So often when God comes to you and he warns you and he tells you, look, this isn't good for you. And and, and I'm I'm, I'm speaking to you right now, knock it off. I'm giving you a warning. You have been warned. And a lot of times when God speaks to us, we're like, kill joy. You don't get it. You know, and we fight, and we argue, and we bargain. You know, it's, it's, it, and it's the same lie that's been perpetuated and repackaged over and over and over again that Satan told Eve in the garden. And basically, the lie that Satan told Eve in the garden was, you know, she said, Hey, we can't partake of that. God said no. And he's like, and I'm paraphrasing, and God says, or Satan says, God's just trying to keep you down. God doesn't want, you know, he's just trying to withhold stuff from you. He knows when you partake of that, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want that. He's just trying to keep the thumb on you, Eve. And so he doesn't know better. See, you know better than he does, Eve. And so you just do whatever your heart, don't listen to his warnings. He's just trying to, he doesn't understand. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resist his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So see, God is giving King Nebuchadnezzar warnings. He gave him a dream, but King Nebuchadnezzar despised the dream. He despised the Lord's message. And so what did he do in rebellion? He builds his own image, right? Okay, you say that my, my kingdom's got an expiration date, it's got a lifespan, and their kingdom's coming after me. No, no, no. I'm not just going to be the head of gold. I'm going to be the whole thing. He builds the image completely out of gold. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down to this image. And and so he has them thrown in the fiery furnace. And God, in his long suffering and in his grace, he he preserves and he sustains uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And and therein, not only being faithful to, to these young godly men, But God's being faithful to King Nebuchadnezzar in that as well because he's showing him, listen, what I'm saying is true. I'm God, and I'm going to protect these guys, and they're going to come out. they're, They're not singed. They don't even smell like smoke, man. They're all good. And so it's yet another sign, God giving to Nebuchadnezzar, really in his love, to say, dude, would you wake up? Would you turn to me? But stubbornly, the king still didn't listen. And so here God gives King Nebuchadnezzar yet another dream. He is so patient, our father. So patient with us. Job Job 33, 14 says, For God speaks once, yes, twice, but man pays no attention. Don't you feel that way with your kids? Stop it. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. Or I'll say stop it again. I mean, it's just, you know, we speak and we speak and we just don't listen. And we're that way with God. And so like many of us, King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't like what God's saying. And so rather than pay attention to God, God, what's he do? He goes looking for a second opinion. He he doesn't want to listen to what God says. He goes listening to a second opinion. He issued verse 6 of the decree, Bring in all of the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Really, he's seeking a second opinion. I have people who will come to me for counseling, and many people who come to me for counseling, they are honestly and sincerely trying to discern the will of God in their lives. And so, you know, then it's always just such a joy to be able to meet with people and to be able to say, well, listen, here's what the Bible says and here's how you can apply it, which is really counseling. You want to know what counseling is all the right kind of counseling? That's it. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how you can apply it. And you know, psychology says, "Look, if you search deep enough within yourself, you're going to find the answer to all your problems. The answer's within. No, the problem's within. You know, the answers are in the Bible, right?" And so, people will come to me, and I'll counsel them, and I'll, and I'll encourage them. But some people, when they come to me, I'm just one of many counselors that they have sought out, which is biblical that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But what I've found is that there are some who come to me, and the reason why they're seeking a multitude of counselors isn't for biblical wisdom; they're seeking a multitude of counselors because they are looking for that person in spiritual authority who will wink at their sin and say, you can sweep that right on under the rug. And now they've got license to do so because somebody who's in a position of spiritual authority told them, yeah, you can do that. That's cool. And there are churches filled with people that, that, that go looking for those that are going to, to tell them what they want to hear. And, and, and the Bible tells us it was going to be this way. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time will come, this is, this is Paul speaking to, to Timothy, his young disciple, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And so verse 7, uh, the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, they came in, and, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven says, The lips of the wise give good advice, but the heart of a fool has none to give. And, and that's, that's what's happened here. He brings all these people together. Hey, you know, tell me what the dream is. And what's interesting as you, as you read this, notice there in verse 7, it's, it, it doesn't say that they could not tell him the interpretation it says they would not tell him the interpretation i think that's key i think i think they knew good and well i think it was very plain to them what the interpretation was they just didn't want to admit it they they were you know there there is there, there is that person who is like no i i will not admit that you're right i'm going to i'm going to stubbornly insist You know, it's been said that there's there's none so blind as those who will not see. They won't see, man. They don't have any good advice to give. And even if there's plain to see good advice to give, they ain't going to give it. Verse 8. But as Daniel came before me, his name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the Spirit of the Holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of the Holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation." These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its heights reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruits. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times or seven seasons pass over Him, verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. Now, second point, write it down. God's warnings are the result of his watching. God's warnings are the result of his watching. 80s hit. I always feel like somebody's watching me, right? Remember that? Those of you? Yeah? All right. So somebody is always watching you. Um, Speaking of songs, Bette Midler in 1991, she won a Grammy for the song, God is Watching Us. I just got two songs stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Uh, to bad ones. But uh, anyway, she won a Grammy for this song. God is, you know, God is watching us. And if you remember the, the, the chorus of that or the verse, I don't know what it is, it's the chorus. Um, I'm so musically gifted, not. Um, whatever it is. Anyway, it's the chorus. And, and so God is watching us. What is it? From a distance, right? God's watching us. He's watching us from a distance. And, and basically they get it half right. Because there ain't no distance about it. God's watching us. Make no mistake about it. Proverbs 15:3, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good." Proverbs 5:21, "For the ways of man are before uh, the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths." Second Chronicles sixteen nine, just the first part of that verse says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, an interesting thing about, thing about that verse in Second Chronicles. See, the story behind this is that you have King Asa, who's the king of Judah, and he's arisen to the throne. And, and God, you know, it basically has, has let him know, look, I'm with you as long as you're with me. And so King Asa, he's, he's there and he's instituting godly practices and principles. He's a, he's a godly ruler. But at some point along the way, he, he gets, you know, a, a guy that's, that comes. And, and now he's got, you know, they're, they're building up an encampment. He's going to have to fight against them. And so what's he do? Well, he starts looking around to make allegiances, to make alliances, right? And so there he is. I don't want to get voted off the island. Who can I make an alliance with? And so he finds Syria and and he makes this 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 alliance with Syria he enters into a treaty with Syria and so God sends the prophet Azariah to see him and and basically what Azariah says to him look the lord is with you when when you're with him if you seek him he will be found by you but if you forsake him he will forsake you and so He forsook him. He enters into this treaty. And so Azariah comes back to the king. And basically, that's when he gives this quote. I read to you the first half of it. He says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Listen to the last half of the verse. He says to him, In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, you're going to have wars from now on. Why? Well, because he reached that place where he stopped walking in faith and he started walking by sight. He started walking by what he could see. And what he stopped doing, and this is what I want you to hear, he he, he stopped trusting that God can see, that God is a watcher, that God is watching over and that he sees and he knows and when he tells you and gives you a warning, he knows what he's talking about. King Asa forgot about that. He thought, well, I can see this, and I'll take care of this. And how often do we do that in our life where where it's like, you know, God warns us in his word, this is what you're supposed to do. Pick an example. They're they're endless. You know, you're you're in your marriage, and and God says you're to be faithful to your wife. And and so what happens, though, is, well, uh, from my eyes, from my vantage point, You know, I'm I'm not so sure I won't be faithful to her anymore. And I got this chick at the office and she's paying attention to me. And and she's, you know, laughing at my corny jokes and, and all. And she's very attentive to me and my wife isn't. And so what happens is we start going off of what we can see and what we feel. But what we forget is that God, when he warns us and says, look, don't commit adultery, flee your youthful lust. Bad company corrupts good character. And we say, you know what? I'm watching and I know what I'm, what I'm seeing, and I know what I should do. That's just one of a bazillion examples of times when, when we do what we see. I remember when I was a kid, my dad would take me down to the beach. I spent my whole life down at the beach. And one day I wanted to go in, and I was running down toward the beach, and my, my dad grabbed me, and uh, he said, you, you, you can't go swimming here. Well, I wanted to swim right here. And, and he says, you can't swim right here. Well, what my dad saw that I didn't see was that there was a rip tide, a rip current right there where I wanted to run in. And I remember just throwing this big old temper tantrum on the beach and getting a spanking from my dad because I wouldn't listen to him. Well, listen, my father was watching and he knew. And, and, and so th- this issue is listen, when God warns us, it's because he's watching. And he knows, and he has a different vantage point than we have. And I think that's a word for someone today. I really do. I really feel strongly impressed. That's a word for someone here today, that, that you need to understand that God has a different vantage point than you have. And, may, and, and you've been arguing with God and thinking that you could inform God. And, and you know, clearly, you, you don't have all the facts, God. Doesn't it? Sounds very foolish to say it that way, doesn't it? but that's the conversations that we have. And so here, God is giving him this warning and and, and his, his warning is coming from a place of he's watching, he sees, he knows. I wonder what God has been warning you about today. I wonder what you... Maybe you know those times when you hear and you just know in the pit of your stomach that's a warning from God. And like I said, normally when those warnings come, we uh, we're not too thrilled to hear them. They don't always fit in with our plans, and and frequently we'll try and say, "Well, that's not what God was saying. He was saying something else." God's warnings are the result of His watching. He sees. And so I wonder, maybe God's warned you about your kids. You know, maybe you know you have noticed that they're starting to run with the wrong crowd. And you've observed that. There's just something that happened, some sort of a situation that God allowed to happen, and you saw it. He put you, just like you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, seeing, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and Jesus Christ himself being there with them, them emerging without that's a sign. Maybe you've had some sort of a sign with your kids that, you know, they're hanging with the wrong crowd or, or they're starting to have a bad attitude. Or maybe you've seen some sort of a, time that tells you, a sign that tells you, you know what, I'm not spending enough time with my child. Maybe you've seen some sort of sign with your kid where you, you realize, you know what, spiritually speaking, they're not where they need to be and that's on me. That's a warning from God. He's giving you that warning because he has a different vantage point than you. He sees what you can't. You know, oftentimes, God's warnings to me might come through my wife. Listen up, guys. Because, you know, my wife, especially where the, where the kids are concerned, she's got a radar that, that, that I, I don't even hope to have. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. And so she'll see, she sees things, as my kid, and my kids are all grown and married now, but she would see things with the kids, and she'd say, hey, this is going on pay attention to that and I'm like what no she's right you know so you know wh- hey what's god been warning you about maybe he's been warning you about your marriage you know you've maybe you've been neglecting your spouse or as i said maybe there's someone at the office you've been flirting with maybe you know you've been on facebook and you've been like you know, thinking oh yeah i wonder what so and so from high school has been doing and god's right there and just the holy spirit he whispers don't do that. See, that's a warning from God. And he's warning you because he's watching and he knows. And he sees it all. And he knows what you're about to do. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows what you're watching on TV. He knows what you're doing online. He knows what you're doing with your money. And from time to time, he shows up and he, and he warns us, doesn't he? So I wonder, and I ask you to kind of take a walk with this 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 week, what's God warning you about? Pay attention to it. Why? Well, the third point, write it down. God's warnings will either result in brokenness or in breaking. They'll either result in brokenness or in breaking. In other words, you'll either be cut to the heart uh, by God's word and it will break you, And you will have that repentance. God, you're right. I'm sorry. And you will repent. Or else, he will allow circumstances to come into your life to do the job and break you. If you will not be cut to the heart and be broken by God's word and and repent, then God will allow circumstances in your life to break you. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time And his thoughts troubled him. And so the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Now you know it ain't going in a good place right from there. This is bad news. That's all I got for you. I turned stark white for a reason. I'm about to give you really bad news. Here it is. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field uh, uh, dwell, and in in whose branches the, the birds of heaven had their home, it is you, O king. You think he didn't know that? I think really deep down inside, he knew who it was. It's you, king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like auction... They, oxen, they shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times, seven seasons shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so he says, listen, this this thing is going to be chopped down. We're going to leave the stump in the ground and the roots in the ground. And that stump is going to be bound with iron and bronze, a band of iron and bronze, iron symbolic of strength, bronze symbolic of judgment. And basically what God is saying is, look, this is what I'm doing. And and guess who gets to do it? you remember, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, you said before, who's the God that's going to be able to withstand me? Right? You remember you said that to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'll tell you who it is. It's me. And it's my band of iron. And it's my band of bronze. Which says this is a holy judgment. This is a righteous judgment. And this is a sure judgment. It's going to happen. And so you're going to be chopped down. and, And we're going to leave the stump and the roots. And that's going to figure in prominently here in a minute. Why? But this is what he's going to do. And then in verse 25, They shall drive you. They shall wet you. Who's the they? Well, it's God. That's who the they is. God's going to do this work. He does whatever he chooses. He rules. He gives the kingdom to whoever he chooses. Verse 26, And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. That's why we're leaving the stump. That's why we're leaving the roots. Because I'm going to rebuild it. But I'm going to chop it down first. Listen, God's warnings will either result in brokenness or they will result in breaking. If you're with us in Jonah chapter 2, we talked about this, how what happens there in Jonah chapter 2 is that he's swallowed by a whale. And he's swallowed by a whale because he said no to God. He resisted God. God told him, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he got a, on a boat going the opposite direction. He said no, 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 no! Boat gone, going. God said, "Here's a storm. Here's a trial." And 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 everybody's freaking out. Jonah's like asleep in the bottom. He's just completely a man who's given up. And finally, he's like, they're, they're, Everybody's calling upon their gods. All these sailors, you know, what's going on? And Jonah comes up. He's like, "Save yourself the trouble. It's me. Just throw me overboard. And the storm will stop." And they're like, "Okay." And they throw him overboard. Storm stops. And he's, you know, gurgling down. And God allows him to be swallowed by a whale. Why did God allow him to be swallowed by a whale? Because the man would not break. He would not listen to what God wanted him to do. He refused. He was in rebellion. He was in disobedience. Just like us so many times. And God had spoken to him and he turned his his back on God and so God says, okay, if you're not going to be broken, then guess what? Plan B, I will break you. I will break you. You know, and this is what God does. And, and so what happens is he allows them to be swallowed by this whale. And, and we talked about, as I was going through Jonah chapter 2, how God allows many of us to be swallowed by our metaphorical whale. By the way, it doesn't say whale. It says a great fish. I say whale because that's what we all think. But Who knows? But he allowed them to be swallowed by this great fish. And there are these great whales that come in our lives. And, and God allows them. Why? Well, a lot of times God allows us to be swallowed by these whales. Because he's breaking us, for crying out loud. You need to be broken because you will not, just, you will not break your will by God's word. And by his warning, you first need to be broken. See, in our affliction god like he did with jonah he allows us to be swallowed by those metaphorical whales because what he's doing is he's giving us listen a window of opportunity that that whale of a situation that you're in right now that trial that you're in right now maybe you're in the midst of god breaking you right now and it's happening because he's giving you a window of opportunity and that window of opportunity is the hopes that you will repent which is exactly what Jonah ultimately did. He cried out in the belly of the whale. And when Jonah repented, when he cried out in the belly of the whale, immediately after he was broken, chapter three begins, and it begins a new chapter in his life. Because chapter 3 verse 1, immediately when he gets swallowed by the whale and immediately when he cries out at the end of chapter 2, chapter 3 begins that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And some of you today, you need a new chapter to start in your life. And... And where it comes from is when you will allow God to, to do his work in you. Best if, you're, if you will be broken, and not if you will break and not have to be broken. But God will get his job done either way. And what I love about the story of Jonah and what I love about this story in chapter 4 is that God gives these men a second chance. He gives them a second chance. And, and some of you, maybe you need a second chance today. Maybe you need to hear that. Yeah, I think I've told you guys the story in, in John Maxwell's book, The 21-Year Laws. He talks about a friend of his who, who acquires businesses that are failing. And, and over lunch, the guy told him whenever they, they buy a failing business, they always do two things. They, the first thing they do is they train all the existing employees in customer service. And the second thing they do is fire the leader. And John was shocked by that. He says, you fire the leader always. You need no exceptions. He said, no exceptions. Why? Well, if he was a good leader, his business wouldn't be failing. And, and while that's true in business, uh, thankfully, it's not always true in the kingdom of God. See, because what God does and what we see in this story, well, God takes men who, who are bad and who are disobedient, and he, and, and, and he, and he does his work within them. Uh, the Bible says there's none good. The Bible says that God choos, chooses the foolish and the weak things to shame the wise. The Bible says, the psalmist said that there's none who does good, no, not one. Paul said the same thing in the book of Romans. And Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 18. There's no one good but God. So if God operated by firing us when we weren't good, when we blew it, when we, like Nebuchadnezzar, hardened our hearts, if God just completely just wrote us off at that point, well, there wouldn't be anyone left and some of us we just there's no teacher like the burnt finger man and some of us we just need to get burnt a couple of times and maybe you're there now i'm not saying that's the pres- prescribed way i'm not saying that's the best way i'm just saying that oftentimes for us knuckleheads that's the that's the common way you won't break let me break you that's the issue And I love seeing this. We see it played out throughout Scripture, examples of men who God broke to accomplish his purpose. I think of Jacob. Here's a man. He spent his whole life manipulating and tricking all the people around him. And he finishes up in in Peniel, and he's running from his father-in-law, and he's running from his brother because they got an ax to grind with him from his shenanigans. And, And it was there that he met God, and he wrestled with him all night long. And he said to him, look, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God touched his hip and he crippled him. Effectively saying to Jacob, listen, you want me to bless you? It comes through brokenness and humility. And so far you haven't been, so let me break you. He did the same thing to the prodigal son. Brokenness and humility. And... Like I said, maybe you're in that place today. Maybe God's breaking you. And if that's you, I want you to take courage because God is the God of second chances. And that's one of these things, these transferable lessons that we see here with Nebuchadnezzar. Man, God, he's breaking him and he's giving him a second chance. Now, what's the key to receiving that second chance? It's Repentance. It's repentance, and that's what, that's what uh, go, is, is King Nebuchadnezzar goes on to record in verse 27, that, that here's, here's the counsel that was given to him. Therefore, O king, right? Daniel says, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Hey, listen. Listen. Here's the thought. Why don't you stop what you're doing? Why don't you stop sinning? Why don't you repent? We all need a friend like that, by the way. It's not in my notes, but we all need someone who's going to love us enough to tell us the truth. The Bible says it's an enemy that multiplies kisses, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. A lot of times we will tune those friends out because we just want the people that are going to tell us what we want to hear. We want the good press. But sometimes... We need a friend like Daniel it's going to tell us man the very bad and awful news and listen you're a sinner and you need to repent. And I would just say that to you here uh, this morning I'd be remiss if I didn't. You know maybe you're here and you your whole life has been a process of breaking And and maybe today you recognize that when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that you experience that on on an ongoing basis in the breaking that's in your life. And I would just simply say to you, the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth, Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of the living God. God raised him from the dead and he died for my sins on the cross for my sins in my place maybe today you're tired of being broken. I would suggest, man, start a new chapter. Let God's breaking in your life have its complete work. And follow the counsel that Daniel gives. Break off your sins by being righteous and your your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. These are fruits, by the way, of salvation. These aren't works for salvation. The only thing that can save you is Jesus and his work on the cross. But, man, it'll be demonstrated in a changed life. Change Change the way you're living. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't listen. God's word is sure. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking around the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, Isn't this not Great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. And while the word was still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, you blew it. right? Neb, to you it is spoken. The, king has depart, or the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times, seven seasons shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. God's breaking is for a purpose. God's breaking is for, man, I need to break you because I need you to come to me. And we see this. His heart is for that even when he, in the midst of his breaking, it's clear to tell us that the the dew is going to be on the grass. It it, it speaks of God's provision for him. Even while he's in the midst of his breaking, I'm going to make sure that you got something to drink. But you're going to go through a breaking. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. If you've ever heard the description of how they found Howard Hughes, this is a perfect description of him. Hair all grown out, his nails all grown out and curled up. And this is what happened, verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, what time? The end of the season that God had prescribed for him, this breaking season that God had provi- prescribed for Nebuchadnezzar. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Are those the words, those are the words of a converted man? You bet they are. You bet they are. He's converted. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven, or his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. And I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All language of worship. I praise him. I extol him. I honor him. the The King of heaven. All of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. My fourth and final point and we're done is that it's only after we're broken that God can use us. It's only after we're broken that God can use us. You know, um, I was reading just the other day about the process of breaking horses. They They still do this. They take horses and they have to break them. It's actually pretty fascinating when you read it. And, there's, there's, there's an interesting observation that the guy who's writing, it's written, you know, by a cowboy, and, and he's, you know, just, and, and the in, in, anyway, the interesting observation that the guy makes is this. He says, you know, an unbroken horse, it doesn't mind you feeding him. And an unbroken horse doesn't mind you giving him water. And, and he doesn't mind you even leading him into shelter from the rain and from the elements. It just doesn't want you to get on its back. And, man, that just, it was like one of those clear light bulb moments to me, because that describes the unbroken human. Hey, God, I don't care. You know, I don't mind. You want to feed me? Cool. You want to clothe me? Cool. You want to bless me? Cool. You want to give me food and water and shelter? And, yeah, that's fine. Get off my back. Right? Right? And so for us, as those followers of Christ, what we need to understand, if you will not be broken and allow the Lord to break you of your will, of your plan, of your purposes, if you won't let him be Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And you're no different than this unbroken horse that says, yeah, I'll take whatever you want to give me, but get off my back. Dale Moody says, God sends no one away empty except for those "...who are full of themselves."